We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded and pay our respects to Elders past, present and Aboriginal Elders emerging. The Vale Podcast, driven by pioneer Ford Robin Vale. It's worth the drive. I often get asked to talk at schools about my career, career path, counsel, things like that, to senior students. But I always give teachers a disclaimer in that they may not like what I've got to say. I was a terrible student. I wasn't naughty or bad or anything like that. I was just social. I'd much rather talk than write. And I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I didn't care. I fell into media because a teacher once told me that I wasn't going to amount to anything unless I could find a job where I could talk for a living. You can do that, you know, so I did. But it got me thinking about how our senior students are feeling this year, stressed, ripped off, confused. So for the next month, we're going to be talking to different people about their careers and how it came to be. Like I said, I ended up working in media for a lot of my working life. And in my experiences, and even in life in general, people change. We all change, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. My experience in the media industry has led me to believe that a lot of people will use you, abuse you, and once they've got a foot over the top of you, they forget you. Don't get me wrong, there's probably a bigger majority, there's definitely a bigger majority, lucky for me, that don't change. They remain the same people, humble, hardworking people who are just really good at what they do. And a lot of the time, they're country people. They were educated in small regional schools. These are my people. This week, I'm chatting to one of these people. He's at the top of his game, which is sports photography. Dream job, I know, right? He went to school in Swan Hill and he was also a student at Sunny Tate for a time. He's also the same guy that I knew as a kid. Still, he has not changed. The guy hasn't even lost any hair. He's taken some of the most remarkable and recognisable photos of the AFL of our generation and yet still considers winning the 2003 Premiership with the Lake Boga Football Club as one of the best days of his life. He's as humble as he is talented and, I don't mind saying, he's my cousin. He's the head of photography and chief photographer at the AFL. He's a Golden Quill winner and a TEDS master. He is... Michael Wilson. How are you? Hi, Jay. Thanks for having me. I'm no, very well. Thanks for coming on. We, we really appreciate it. We really do. Because when I was talking to you the other day and just, you know, we'll go through the small talk and I will play the cousin card. Michael <laughs> and I are related. Yes, we are. Do you know how? I'm going to test your knowledge now. Do you know how we're related? Yeah. Um, your dad and my mum are... First cousins, aren't they? They are first cousins. Zanina and my non- They make us second or third cousins. I'm not too sure. That makes us second cousins. Second cousins, yeah. It makes your new baby. Congratulations, by the way. I didn't say congratulations the other day. Thank you. Thank you. So 11 weeks old. You've got an 11-week-old little boy. Yeah, 12 weeks now. He turned 12 weeks yesterday. So, yeah. My wife and my little boy, Hart is his name, H-A-R-T. They're, they're in Melbourne while I'm up here in Queensland. So missing them terribly, but uh, I'll see him in 27 days. Not that I'm counting. But, I was going to yeah. say, not counting at all, are you? No. <laughs> um, so that may, well, that makes Hart and my kids 
Third cousins. Third cousins. Yes, there you go. I'm right across it. I know what's <laughs> going on. So you are you are in the AFL hub because you are the AFL chief photographer these days. Yes, correct. So I'm in um, yeah the AFL hub that's based on the Gold Coast. It's uh, we've got. I think there's three clubs in here at the moment with AFL staff and umpires. We've got the Western Bulldogs, Richmond, and Geelong are also in here. So, yeah, we're uh, it's basically a, a resort hotel. Um, we're allowed to leave. We can go out and get takeaway coffees and that kind of thing. But um, there's some pretty strict protocols we have to have to stick to to enable us to continue the season. Um, not just the players, but the AFL staff as well. So, yeah. I'm not going to get into the politics, but not everyone's been adhering too strictly to those protocols, have they? No, there's, there's been a few indiscretions, which have been pretty well documented in the news. So, um, But the absolute majority of, of players and staff are, are living by the protocols and, and doing everything right. So, um, yeah, it's just a very small percentage that have, uh, have gone over the line, unfortunately, but um, the majority are doing the right thing. But it's that very small, small percentage that get the bulk of the media attention, isn't it? Which ruins it for yeah. everybody. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, you know, a lot of mainstream media like to focus on on the negative aspects and and the small percentage that do the wrong things because it, it you know means more clicks and more more papers sell. Unfortunately, um, that's just kind of the reality of it, really. Yeah, it's an unfortunate. It's that way with with everything. Let's yeah. start from. Way back when, I mentioned before that you grew up in Swan Hill and your biggest claim to fame still, and I was telling someone about this the other day, is that you're a 2003 Premiership player with the Lake Boga Footy Club. Yes, absolutely. That's one of the greatest days of my life still. Probably it's been overtaken by my son being born, but it's, it's right up there still. So, yeah, to, uh, to sort of summarise, I grew up in Swan Hill. Uh, my parents still live there. I went to um, St. Mary's Primary School and then McKilt College. Um, and, yeah, played uh, football for Lake Boga. Um, pretty much, well, I played my junior football with St. Mary's and then played under-17s and all my senior football with Lake Boga right up until I was 30 on and off. Um, and, yeah, always growing up, as you know, Jay, you were Warrenine, but, um, you know, country football is such a, an integral part of the community um, and growing up all I ever really wanted to do was play football and play in a premiership so I was like Boga um, and managed to do that in 2003 we broke a 28 year premiership drought it was a really big deal um, and yeah still one of the greatest days I can remember I've got really vivid memories of the day um, it's one of my greatest sporting achievements but just I look back on that that day with such um fond memories and such warmth. And it was actually your dad that gave me my uh, premiership medallion. I think he was president of the Central Murray at the time. Um, mm. One of my favourite photos is, yeah, your dad's putting, putting the medal around my neck. So, um, yeah, it's just a great day. And I've got really fond memories of growing up in Swan Hill as well. Really, really great little town. I love going back there to, to visit my family. I, I don't have too many friends there. Most, most of my friends have sort of moved on from, from Swan Hill now, but... Um, get back there usually Christmas and holidays and yeah um, love going back there to to visit mum and dad especially yeah I bet how proud on a scale of one to oh god I don't even know uh, how proud are mum and dad of you and what you've achieved not only I suppose dad's super proud of you winning that premiership with 
with like Boga. Was Gatto the president when you won that? No, uh, Malcolm Heil was the president. Um, Paul Gadsden was the selector, one of the selectors, I think, at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I can't um, yeah, my parents are uh, yeah, very proud of everything I've achieved. I guess at the end of the day, they, they'd be proud of me no matter what because they're just, you know, two, two loving parents that just want to see their children uh, be happy and healthy and um, everything else that comes along with it is a bonus, I guess. But... Yeah, the, the premierships are a definite highlight, but they're extremely proud of, of what I've achieved in my career as well as, as what my sister has too. So, no, they're, uh, they're beaming with, um, with pride most of the time. I suppose nothing would give them more pride than having grandchildren. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. That's probably <laughs> the, uh, the proudest moment that they've had. So they've got three grandsons now. Like, can't seem to crack it for a granddaughter, but... <laughs> Yeah, they're, um, my sister's got two, two little boys now, seven and five or four, I think they are, Eli and, and Oscar, and they're down in um, Barwon Heads now. But, yeah, um, mum and dad are, are very proud grand- grandparents and um, it's been tough on them um, with the restrictions that we've had lately, not being able to visit as much as I would like. So, um, but, yeah, they're, they're so wrapped to be grandparents finally. Mm, I was just going to say well, when... Um when you mentioned that your sister has two kids, I haven't seen Lisa for probably longer than I haven't, I haven't seen you. I reckon the last time yeah, I saw yeah. you was down the street in Swan Hill at Christmas time, probably. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. When I got first got back from overseas. So that's great. I can imagine Carmel's just the proudest non nut Absolutely. She is. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. Straight away. It was non-negotiable that, um, that, the grandchildren had to call a nunna. That was yep. uh, <laughs> no arguments with that. I can imagine. You know, there's two in the Fakara bloodline. There's two Eli's and one Peyton. Really? Oh, no, I yeah. didn't know that. There you go. Yeah. Eli's popular name then. Eli, yeah. And you know that Eli and Peyton are the Manning brothers from the NFL. Oh, of course, yeah. Eli Manning, yeah, the quarterbacks, yeah. yeah. And Peyton, my Peyton is named after Peyton Manning. Anyway, really? I don't there you go. <laughs> there you go. But Mel and Renee Fakara have an Eli yeah. as well, who would be. I did know that actually. Yes. Yeah. He'd, so there you go. he'd be a little bit older than um, he'd be like ten or. Yeah, he'd, I don't know whether he'd be ten yet. Maybe nine. Nine. Okay. Mm, somewhere a around. A little bit there. older than our kids. Yeah. Mm. So um, secondary school, you went to MacKillop, and when you got to your senior years, VCE. Yep. What kind of student were you? Um, I was always a pretty conscientious student. Always wanted to do well and I definitely wasn't like um, disruptive or a poorly behaved student. I was always, yeah, trying to do well, I guess. Um, wasn't what you'd call like, or we only had a very small class for a start, like McKill College in 1994 when I graduated had a year 12 class of maybe 12 or 13 students. So it was, you know, really small. Yeah. Um, so I was just, yeah, I guess I was a middle-of-the-road student, um, wasn't one of the bad boys, wasn't one of the good boys, just I was kind of uh, always in between. and um, But always, yeah, conscientious. I guess I was always responsible and, um, yeah, I, I was probably always more inclined uh, and more um, took more interest in the creative side of subjects. So I was always, you know, good at art and drawing and those kind of subjects as opposed to 
chemistry and maths and all those kinds of things. And I guess that's kind of led me to, to the career where I am now. Mm. Did you do, for VCA, did you do all of the arts subjects that score really low when it came to your TR? And did that yeah. take you out? Yeah. So, uh, well, McKillop only had a very basic offering of subjects uh, given it was kind of just starting out. Mm. Well, it been around for a while, but again, you know, it wasn't a, a big school like it is today. So, you know, the I think the creative offering that they had was art. I think it was just art. There was no, you know, graphic graphics or computer graphics or anything like that. I think that art was the only subject I could do that was in the creative field. And computer uh, graphics in 1994, Michael, would have been on like MS-DOS on an Apple IIe. Well, I don't think even Apples were around there. I reckon it was like the Commodore 64, which is probably... <laughs> The listeners would know nothing about, but uh, yeah, it was a very limited offering of subjects. I think I did like English, maths, art, PE, um, home ec, and of course, religious education, I think was was compulsory mm. um, for McKillop. So yeah, from memory, they were, they were my subjects. Wow. So how did you then... Did you know in year 12 doing those sorts of subjects that you wanted to be a photographer or that you wanted to go into something creative or did you, because yeah. you were quite a capable footballer. You were a good footballer in your junior years. <laughs> oh, look, there was talk of you getting drafted at one point, wasn't there? <laughs> no way. <laughs> if you, you're, you're pulling my leg there, I think. But I, if I could have been a professional footballer, I would have. I, I loved football, absolutely loved it and would have given anything to play for Collingwood or, you know, I was always a good country footballer. Um, if you had have asked my father, Michael, he would have said that you could have been drafted. In fact, he probably still says that. Tory, Tory was my biggest fan. He was continually trying to get me to play for Warren A. I remember uh-huh. that. Um, no, I, I was never going to be good enough to play AFL. Um, I, yeah, I guess at school I probably thought I would, I didn't, think I'd be a photographer I thought I would end up in a creative field and I did to start with so I I actually ended up being a graphic designer for um seven or eight years before I transitioned into photography so um straight after high school I went I did a year of TAFE actually at um at Sunraysia College of TAFE in Mildura and did a um it was a graphic design diploma and then went to La Trobe University in Bendigo and studied graphic design for three years and kind of just fell into being a graphic designer, I guess, after that. Um, But I did learn about photography at uni. So photography was one of our core subjects all through uni. So I had that background and that knowledge and that passion for it even back then. And, yeah, I guess the the seed was sort of planted then as far as, you know, um, the capability of being a photographer and, and I always really enjoyed it. And this is back in the film days, really showing my age here, but this is when you learnt with film and in the dark room, processing your own film. So a real appreciation for the art of photography as well. And um, I guess having that, that knowledge and that background allowed me to, to explore it a little bit further down the track. And when it all became digital, it you know opened up even more avenues, I guess. So yeah, I always knew during high school that I'd kind of end up in a creative area and it's just sort of transitioned into photography over the years, I guess. So what was your first photography gig? Well, my first photography gig that was related to AFL was I actually shot, yeah, I shot like an Essendon intra-club match once. 
it was like the pre-season of 2005. Before that, I kind of shot like just, you know. Weddings? Country, country football, sorry. Did you do any weddings? I shot my sister's wedding and my cousin's wedding and that was about it. I just, not a wedding photographer, I can tell you that. It's not, not, not my scene, but um, yeah, I, so I'd shot like, you know, a, a few sort of random country football games and um, some amateur football and that sort of stuff. But yeah, my big break, I guess, photo-wise came in, yeah, it was 2005, I think I shot Essendon, an Essendon intra-club match. Um, it was at, it was at Gosh's Paddock in Melbourne and just sort of pulled the photos together and emailed them into the club um, just saying, oh, hey, introduce myself. I'm a photographer starting out. I was at your intra-club match today. Um, here's some pictures. If you want to use them on your website, please, please feel free. And they got back to me straight away. Um, whoever was managing their, their email or social media at the time said, oh, these pictures are great. We're going to use them in our um, news story about the intra-club today. Can you come back next weekend and, and take some more pictures? So naturally, I was, you know, that was a good response. So I went back the next weekend and introduced myself to, to the person I was emailing and they introduced me to their media manager at the time who offered me um, Essendon's photographer's pass for the year. So each AFL club has an accredited photographer that they can send to matches. And I guess that was my big break um, where, you know, I, I sort of, it was basically a foot in the door as far as shooting at the elite level. So, you know, I got to, to shoot actual AFL matches. And from that, I was able to network and meet other photographers, get feedback, learn new techniques and that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, it just all sort of flowed from there. And, and by 2007, I was freelancing for Getty Images, who are like a worldwide photo agency. I was shooting like VFL matches for them. And then 2008, when um, the AFL photos contract came into the AFL media sort of area, um, I got offered a, a position when, when that happened. So I've been there ever since. So that was 12, 13 years ago now. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, how it sort of evolved. So you just put yourself out there, go and do it. And that's yeah. how a lot of these things often happen, isn't it? You just, you want to do it. So you go and do it for free, not for money or anything else. Yep. It's just because you love it and you want to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was, um, it was, you know, a lot of sort of, hard work in that I was working as a full-time graphic designer the whole time that I was going out weekends and just shooting either shooting Essendon or shooting just amateur football matches to build up my folio. So, you know, for a while there, I'd be working Monday to Friday in my design job and then Saturday and Sunday is just off my own bat would be going to shoot some type of football. Um, and yeah, I guess if you kind of work hard enough for long enough, you know, opportunities start, start to open up for you and, and it's about, you know, capitalising on those opportunities as well. I, I guess you kind of, like I said, you, you learn to network, you learn to meet different people and get feedback and, and take feedback on board and not take it as a, as a negative um, and try to improve yourself at, at every step. Mm, that's important, being able to take feedback too, isn't yeah. it? And I was never good at that. In, um, in high school, you know, I'd, any feedback that was given to me, I'd be very sensitive towards it. I'd you know, think it was very personal um, and, you know, would get get upset at times uh, if, if I didn't do something right. But, um, yeah, I think the, with maturity comes the acceptance of, you know, feedback is, is something that you can build on and, and improve yourself from. Mm. And I suppose before you reach that level of maturity, when you're younger, you know everything straight away. As soon as you hit your 20s and that early part of your career, you know everything straight away. I remember Gatto, who we both know, giving yeah. me some 
constructive <laughs> feedback when I first started it in radio and yeah. um, it's still some of probably some of the, some of the feedback that I, I go back to now and always use it as a just settle down. Yeah. That kind yeah. of, you know, it's nice to have a kick in the pants every now and then. I yeah. Think everyone needs that. No, you're right. Absolutely. So you've been at the AFL for 12 or 13 years. How long did it take you or how was the pathway then to become, to becoming the AFL chief photographer? Cause that's a lofty title for a yeah. kid yep. from Swan Hill. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, when I, when I went full time in 2008, I had, um, there was a director of photography above me um, and there was another photographer who I was alongside. Um, and then we had photo editors and um, yeah, a couple of other people that were running like the admin side of it. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I, I guess as, as the years went on and, and my um, standing within the industry kind of gained legs, I guess, you know, I, I got to know players and club media managers and I, you know, a couple of photos of mine, um, got recognised and sort of there was a photo of Mitch Clark, I guess, which kind of stands out as, as one that sort of put my name out there a little bit. And you, you get to know people and you get to sort of know the right people and eventually you get a bit more seniority in your role. And, um, yeah, I guess it was probably around 2000 and probably 16 or 17 where... Um, the director of photography that we had at the time moved on and it sort of opened up a bit of a, a gap in our department for me to step up and assume that more senior role within the team. So, um, yeah, it was kind of like a, a series of events that, that happened that led to me um, sort of ending up where I am now. So, yeah, my, my official title is, is um, head of photography and chief photographer. So, I head up a very small team. There's only one other photographer um, below me and we've got a photo editor and a photo unit manager. And then we um, we're part of the AFL media network. So um, it's basically, you know, we're in with social media and the creative team and, and video producers and content producers and, and all those other great departments of the AFL. So um, yeah, we're only a very small team. We're, AFL photos has a relationship with um, a partnership with Getty images who we rely on it effectively is our freelance arm. So I manage that relationship as well. And yeah, in the meantime, well, in between, I uh, try and take as many photos as I can. Yeah, geez, you've got your plate full. Let's yeah. talk about, um, I suppose, the most iconic photo, one of the most iconic photos that you'd be known for, and that's that shot of Taylor Harris that's yep. likened to the Ted Whitten photo. And when you look over the course of any sport, there's iconic photos that spring to mind straight away. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's Premier League, NFL, the NBA or whatever. That photo, did you know at the time, because that photo is the one that's going to become synonymous probably, you know, throughout history as being the photo that illustrates women's football and the breakout yeah, yeah. of women's football. Did you know when you took that, that that was going to be such an iconic photo and cause the, I suppose, the controversy for Taylor that it did? Yeah. Um, in short, no. I, when I took the photo, I, I thought I had a, a great action picture. I thought um, it was just an amazing image of, of an elite female athlete in full flight. I thought nothing more of it. Um, I know Taylor, you know, her kicking style, I knew before, 
I took the photo that whenever Taylor Harris gets the ball and she kicks for goal, you always, always um, get lots of pictures of it because she's just got this amazing elevation and leg extension. And um, there's been great photos of her before the photo I took of, of her kicking style. Um, so when I when I when she marked the ball, I knew she was going back for a shot at goal. I, I sort of made sure I was in a good position and, and fired off a sequence of maybe 10, 10 frames and chose the one where she was at her highest peak. Looked back at it on the back of my camera and thought, oh, you know, she's really high off the ground. Um, you know, her leg extension, the elevation, it was just an amazing picture. Even the expression on her face, um, the light, it's just a really a great action picture. And I had no idea that it had um, caused any kind of controversy. I thought I'd just put it on my Instagram and people would comment and say, what a great action photo. And um, most of the people would know it sort of grew legs of its own after it got um, reposted by Channel 7, um, got some, you know, really dis disgraceful comments made, some derogatory sexist comments made um, on the Channel 7 um, social channels in regards to the photo. And Channel 7 removed it. And that was when it kind of went viral because people saw that as Channel 7 standing, um, you know, giving in to the trolls and to the, to the keyboard warriors. So, uh people started reposting the picture and that's when it went bananas. And I can remember my phone lighting up, especially on Twitter. I think it was like on maybe the Sunday night. I think it was, a, yeah, or the Monday night. I can't quite remember. It was like the day after and there was just retweet after retweet after retweet of the picture and it was just going bananas wow. and I was getting calls from journalists the next day. I had TV crews come over to my to my place and do interviews and I was on the radio with Jared Waitley and uh, I couldn't quite believe it all from a photo that I thought at the time was just a brilliant, brilliant shot of a, a great footballer kicking a ball. So no, I didn't know at the time. <laughs> mm. But I suppose without blowing too much smoke up your ass, <laughs> for want of a better term, that yeah. illustrates, I suppose, your character as not only a photographer, but as a human that, that's just a great action. And it was, and it still is, a great action yeah. shot of an athlete doing her job. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm really proud for what it stands for now. Um, you know, it's, it's become a bit of a, an image as a, a line in the sand, standing up to, to online trolls and, to you know, sexism in sport is just not on. And for that image to be a symbol of that is makes me really, really proud. But, yeah, at the end of the day, I... I I don't like letting go of the fact that it's just a, it's a great action picture of just an, a, an elite athlete um, in her prime doing what she does best. I think at the end of the day, it's, it's a great sports picture and it should be recognised for that as well as what it stands for. Mm. Even if it was never intended to stand for that. And it, you're right, it yeah. is a great, a great picture of doing what she does best and that is kicking goals and all power to her. She's yep. a great footballer. Totally. Was it that moment or was there a different moment where you've stood back and gone, you know, I've made it. This is the dream. I'm living my best life doing what I love to do, combining football and the creative arts. Yeah. Um, probably I think one of my first grand finals I shot, I think it was 2006. I remember standing in the middle of the MCG um, thinking to myself, I can't believe I'm in the middle of the MCG on grand final day. I remember taking a selfie on, on my camera. I don't think mobile phones were like proper, proper iPhones back then. So I, I remember taking one on my big camera. I've still got it somewhere. 
was like, you know, I, I thought I might not be back here ever. It's, you know, who knows what the future holds. But I thought, yeah, 2006 grand final. I remember standing in the, on, on the middle of the MCG thinking, oh, this is as good as it gets. But to be honest, Jay, like most days I kind of, I think to myself, I'm so lucky and blessed to do what I do. Um, working in an industry I love, football, and um, utilising a passion uh, in photography to, to combine the two every day. Like today, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate in that I've, I've been um, lucky enough to come to Queensland um, to do my job still. I, I know how tough it is in Victoria at the moment, in Melbourne especially. I've, you know, I've lived there for the, most of my adult life and the last six months has been horrendous with the COVID restrictions. Um, so I know I'm in a very privileged position to be in Queensland to be able to do my job. This morning I drove from the Gold Coast to um, Brisbane to shoot the final series launch um, at this beautiful five-star hotel overlooking the Brisbane River and the Story Bridge. And, you know, Gil McLaughlin's there and there's journalists and, um, you know, I'm taking pictures of Simon Black, a Brownlow medalist, triple premiership player holding the premiership cup. Um, you know, like... It's um, to me. I don't see it as a job because I, I just love taking photos that are related to football. Um, so yeah, I, every day I, I look at look at my role and, and think how privileged and lucky and fortunate I am, and especially in this current climate, to be able to, to do it every day. Um, because yeah, there were moments this year as well. Even uh, I got stood down twice. Um, you know, after round one, I got stood down, and that created a lot of uncertainty around, you know, what the future would, would hold for my role. So there's been moments this year where there's been real, um, you know, a, re a real reality check as to, you know, this job might not last forever. Um, fortunately, I've come out the other side with my role being unaffected and I've been able to come up to Queensland and continue in my job. But um, there's been others that haven't been as fortunate. So I'm very mindful of the fact I'm in a privileged position to be able to, to do what I do. You are, but... Do you subscribe to, having said all of that, do you subscribe to the theory that the harder you work, the luckier you seem to get? Yeah, I do. Yep. I think, um, yeah, sometimes you make your own luck as well and you've got to put yourself in a position to get lucky. And part of that is, is working hard to get yourself into, a, into an opportunity and a position to, to be able to, to receive that luck, I guess. Um, and for me, that was just, yeah, working hard and, and shooting all those matches at weekends that didn't mean, mean anything just to build up a folio and, and sort of open up some doors. Yeah. yeah. Things like this don't just happen to anyone. You've got to put in the hard work. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so footy finals are coming up. Yes. Can't wait. Thursday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is that just because Collingwood are there? Uh, well, I am quietly hoping Collingwood does well. I, I, yeah, I, uh, I don't usually tell too many people I'm a Collingwood supporter. Um, I like to be very neutral in my job, when, especially when I'm shooting. But um, no, I hope they do well, yeah. Yeah, but I'm a Richmond supporter. And Well, who's your, hop who's, who's your tip then? Well, to be honest, I think, I think Port Adelaide are just going to be really hard to beat. They're the informed team. They've had such a great run. They've had a great season in that. They haven't travelled too much for hubs. They've relatively um, had a, a regular 
routine as far as, you know, all their players have been training in the same location. They haven't had to move out from home too often. They're sleeping in their beds. They've, they've had the best preparation, I think. Mm. Um, so I think Port Adelaide and Brisbane will make the grand final. And, yeah, I think Port Adelaide, to me, I think are probably really? the best game in it at the moment. But, look, I think Richmond are a massive chance. <laughs> yeah, there's your disclaimer. We have beaten Port Adelaide this year. I'll have. I'll remind you. Where, where was that? In, in it was Adelaide. in Adelaide. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I'm not discounting Richmond at all. I think mm. they can do it for sure. But um, I put it this way: I think Port Adelaide are an absolute monty to get in the grand finals, just because they've got two guaranteed finals at home, and they're at the moment they're virtually impossible to beat it. Mm-hmm. A little bit of an advantage, but we won't go there. Let's talk about what a typical day during footy finals looks like to you. Yep, Run yep. us through it. Uh, do you mean like a match day or yeah. during the week? A match day, yeah. Okay, so I'll use Thursday as, as an example. So I'm, it's probably not an ordinary average week but 2020 isn't an ordinary average year really is it so the first finals in Adelaide on Thursday um, Port Adelaide and Geelong so I'm flying over um, Wednesday afternoon from Gold Coast to Adelaide Um, Thursday at 7.50 I think game is or maybe 7.30 or something so I'll generally get to the match about two hours before I get given a, a photographic brief to fulfill so each club has um, puts in requests for pitches they want, as do um, different departments of the AFL. So like the commercial team might have some corporate partners that need some pictures of signage or, you know, something like that, like, you know, a picture of uh, the play happening in front of, say, a NAB sign or something like that. Um, and then, yeah, there's other requests that come in, sort of random requests like um, umpire milestones, for example. So one of the umpires might be umpiring his 200th game. So I get a picture of them before the match. Um, and then there's the editorial coverage on top of that. So um, just covering news that comes out of the match. So it could be injuries, you know, the big marks, the big tackles, the big goals, all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, get there a couple of hours before the game, make sure I'm across everything. The game starts. Um, I'm filing pictures on the fly. So I have my laptop set up next to me. Um, the pictures that I that I file go straight through to the AFL photo site where they're picked up by AFL.com, um, the clubs um, and different subscribers to use on social media mainly. Um, so, you, you know, all those tiles you see with the quarter time score that the clubs send out and the AFL send out, they're all the pictures that, that um, myself and other photographers send. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a juggling act, shooting the game and then, you know, filing on your laptop. You, you've got to be really, really careful that you don't miss anything. Um, generally, by quarter time, I'll have seven or eight pictures filed through to the, to the AFL photo site. And then by halftime, maybe 20 or 30. By the end of the match, you're aiming to sort of have around 80 action pictures um, on the AFL photo site online and ready to, to be distributed. So... And then after the game, um, you're there for about an hour, hour and a half, just doing like a, a clean sweep of your whole edit to make sure you haven't missed anything. Um, you sort of tend to put a few stock pictures online, like, you know, your sort of stock standard footy card photos, those kinds of pictures. Um, and then you wrap up, yeah, probably around two hours after the siren and go back to the hotel and I'll fly back here Friday morning, ready to do it all again at the Gabba on Saturday 
yeah, Saturday twilight and Friday night. So, yeah, that's kind of um, that's how a match day sort of would, would roll out. Wow. So that's a lot to juggle. If you're trying to take photos and not miss anything but yeah. file photos at the same time, have yeah, you yeah. ever put in a request for an assistant? <laughs> well, it's, it is a juggling act and sometimes um, it is possible, like for grand final, we, we have, um, have people filing for us sometimes. Um, some of the bigger photo agencies do have, um, do have people on picture desks that, that receive the images straight from the photographer's camera and do the editing. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're kind of a little bit more lo-fi than that. So it's generally the photographer's job to, to edit um, his or her own pictures. Um, but it is, you do have to be very careful that you don't miss something. I've had instances where I've, I have missed big moments. One, one that I've uh, mentioned before is, um, I'm not sure if you can remember that Jeremy Howe mark that was taken on Queen's birthday a couple of years ago on uh, Tom yes. and Tom. Yeah. Yeah. So, I vividly remember missing that. I had my head in my laptop. I was filing some um, big freeze pictures that had to, because uh, that was the slide, the, the big freeze slide. I had to get some pictures out to um, to some uh, corporate partners of the big slide. And I remember just hearing the crowd roar. I looked up on the on the replay on the big screen and Jeremy Howes just like pulled in a mark for the ages. And uh, yeah, didn't have anything of it. <sighs> Went to a very dark place after that, I'll tell you that for a few days, but um, that's all part of it. But you learn your lessons. Like, you, you know that when the play is in front of you, you just you, you shoot it. It's only when there's a break in play, like when a goal is scored or when there's an injury or a blood rule or, you know, that kind of thing, that that's, that's the time when, when you should file on your laptop. How much of the ground are you covering? If there's, if there's only two of you that are in your team, are yep. you covering, like, half of the ground? Yeah, pretty much. You, you sort of sit... Um, opposite each other um, at opposite ends of the ground and you cover your I mean the technology we have with the camera quality like the image quality and the the focal length of the lenses that we have one photographer can pretty much cover the whole ground now Um, but yeah usually when there's two of you at the ground you you cover your sort of I don't know 50 to 70 meter arc and the other photographer um, covers his or hers and between the two of you, you have good solid coverage of, of all areas. Still, there's a lot of variables that can come come into play. Like a player could run in front of you um, during a you know a pivotal moment, or umpires are notorious for you know, getting in the way of the play, or or uh, trainers, you know, seagulls. I've had bloody seagulls at the MCG ruin shots on me before. It's like you know, sometimes you just have those days where nothing goes right. But um, to give yourself every opportunity, you you try not to file um, when the play is kind of in your area. Yeah. Mm, I suppose when, now you're a TEDS master as well. And I had a look at your profile on the TEDS camera website and the package, the TEDS <laughs> masters package that they yeah, offer. Yeah. Yeah. You're packing a $14,000 camera. Is that right? Yeah. The, uh, the top of the range new Canon that they've bought out is in that ballpark. I don't have the new one yet, but I've, uh, I've got to get on to Gil McLaughlin to, uh, to buy me a new one of those. Uh, fortunately, I don't pay for my gear. I know, um, yeah, the, the kit that I've got is worth a lot of money. I've got two of those cameras that you mentioned and I've got a 600mm fo- uh, focal length, that's the focal length, 600mm Canon EF series um, telephoto lens, which is worth about the same amount. Mm. So, unfortunately, um, photography is not cheap and... Um, when I first started out, though, I did. I 
had to sort of make a, a financial uh, pledge and and outlay a fair bit of cash to just get the basics, you know, like a telephoto lens and some secondhand gear to to get enable me to get those shots that, that you need. So um, yeah, it, it's not a cheap cheap profession or a cheap hobby. But um, fortunately, when I went full time with the AFL, um, the gear is is covered by them. So, but I know it can cause a lot of financial hurt buying proper gear, but you do need it. Yeah, well, is it one of those things, I'm assuming that it is, you get what you pay for? Yeah, totally. It's um, the Pro Series cameras that Canon especially have, um, the the difference in image quality from your, your pro level to like a consumer level that it's, yeah, they're poles apart. So it's, it totally is. You, you get what you pay for. The quality of the cameras that um, that Canon produce, especially the the, um, the 1DX yeah, the image quality is just unbelievable. The sharpness, the clarity and the colour is um, absolutely worth the money. Do you have an affiliate partnership with Canon? You're giving them a feral plug. Uh, I'm not an official ambassador, but I have some very, very uh, nice people at Canon that, that help me out on occasions. One of, one of the guys at Canon's actually um, sending me one of the cameras you mentioned, one of the $14,000 ones to shoot the finals with on, on a loan basis. So, um, you know, they're, they're in all seriousness they to me their cameras are the best and um yeah fortunately i've got a great relationship with them and uh they they i would highly recommend their gear yeah okay <laughs> great <laughs> got the plug in well done hey just quickly i want to talk to you it was you that took the anzac day photos at the mcg this year wasn't it yes the the bugler yeah the bugler, yeah mm. again those photos are something that do you realize when you're taking photos like that? Cause I mean, they're incredible to look at, but do you, are you conscious in the way that you've spoken about it so far? Again, I'm going to assume, but I'll let you, I don't want to assume anything. Are you aware that you're documenting history? Yeah, that a shoot like that for sure. Um, when I um, got told about the shoot, and was sent through all the details. I was like, this is going to be quite an eerie experience. And, and again, in a very privileged position to be able to, to share the MCG with, um, with a bugler on uh, Anzac day. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I thought at the time that um, this is a, a really historic moment, a kind of sad moment in a way, but um, again, you know, sometimes sad sad moments need to be documented photographically for posterity. You know, we can look back in years to come and, and see that, um, you know, the Anzac Day tradition was, was kept at the MCG, even though there's no crowd there. Um, we still had a bugle playing the last post. And, yes, the pictures, I think, are, you know, in the fullness of time, we'll, we'll look back on them and, and think, um, well, I can't believe that actually happened. But mm. at the time I was like, yeah, this is kind of a really eerie eerie feeling but they are magnificent pictures and yeah. when you google now when you google anzac day 2020 they're the photos that come up yep. so um which is important ranking yep. high in google isn't it michael <laughs> <laughs> always thank you so much for um well i suppose before i let you go and i will let you go because i've kept you longer than than i told you i would but for anyone that's wanting to get into the creative arts, whether it's photography, graphic design, you know, acting, whatever, you know, 
Because once you're in that sort of, I suppose, the creative space, if you know that you're, you're right-brained, then the world is your oyster. What's, what's the one piece of advice you'd give for VCE students in 2020? Yeah. I guess, you know, do your best at, at VCE. Try and get the best possible result you can for yourself. But don't stress if, you know, you don't end up in the course you want or um, in the field you want straight away. My journey to photography was, you know, a, a long-winded one through graphic design. And, um, you know, I didn't get into the graphic design course I wanted um, straight after high school. So, you know, I did a year of TAFE, which wasn't part of my plans. But I guess my advice would be, um, you know, things can change really quickly. If you work hard enough, um, just put yourself out there. Just um, don't be shy. If you've got skills and talent, put it out there, you know, network, get to know people, um, and doors will open. Like if you've got the talent, and you've got the hard work. Um, you'll end up in in a job that that you want and that you'll love, hopefully. So that would probably be my advice. And that's good advice. Work hard. Don't stress. Yeah, try not to stress. It's. I know you know year twelve is a stressful time, and especially this year, I feel for um, BCE students this year. With the whole COVID thing, um, you know, it's it's a tough, tough year to, to be in high school. Um, but, yeah, hang in there and, you know, nothing is permanent. You know, a, a TER score is not permanent. It's not going to define where you end up in your career. Can't stress mm-hmm. that enough. I don't think they're even TER scores anymore. I think they're ATARs now. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That shows you. I don't think they were even TERs back in my day. That was something else. That, uh, they were. Like, I graduated in 94, so that is a long time ago. <laughs> Yeah, I graduated not too far after and they were TRs. I reckon they were that way for a little while. Yeah. They wouldn't be scored. We're showing our age. (laughs) That's all right. Age is just, it's just a number, whatever. Thanks so much once again for giving us some time. We really appreciate it. Great to catch up. And it's so good to see country kids doing magnificent things. I'm going to put you on the spot now. Is the AFL the pinnacle of your career or have you got your sights set on the NBA, the NFL, Premier League, European football? What's Uh, the pinnacle? I I think the AFL probably is the pinnacle. Um, I did shoot the Commonwealth Games two years ago in 2018 as um, I was invited to be um, the Australian team photographer, which was amazing. And after that, I've got a little bit of a hunger for the Olympic Games as like an official photographer, maybe just as like a, a uh, just as an experience. But I don't think that's going to happen with the COVID um, effective games that will happen next year. So now look, I, I can't see myself doing anything um, apart from what I'm doing now. And I'm really happy and fortunate and um, lucky to be doing what I'm doing. And hopefully um, I can continue to do it for, for years to come. Great answer. And that will keep you employed for at least another season, you would think. awesome michael thank you so much for today we really appreciate it thanks for having me thanks for listening to the vale podcast driven by pioneer ford robin vale it's worth the drive remember to support our sponsors and shop local subscribe at thevalepodcast.com.au